Welcome to the 68th episode of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast. I am your host, Chris Blessing. I hope everyone is well out there today. It's been a crazy last month for me. I uh, thank you all for listening and helping grow this show. It's been a labor of love most of the weeks. Uh, it's the weeks where you run out of time sometimes. It, it just doesn't seem to uh, always work out. So I thank you guys for being patient. We haven't gotten things out on Monday nights. This week we will, so that's great. Uh, I have a great guest this week uh, on our episode of the Eyes Have It podcast. He wears many hats with the fantasy baseball and prospect universe, uh, including contributing to Sox prospects and being a featured writer at Fantasy Pros. He is the founder of the Dynasty Dugout and co-host of the Toolshed podcast with another friend, Eric Cross. And uh, so... Welcome to the show, Chris Clegg. How are you doing? I'm great, Chris. Uh, it's good to be on the Chris show. You know, there's a lot of Chris's in the uh, baseball community, especially the fantasy space. So it's good to chat with you. Uh, it's been uh, a little while. Uh, I know we chatted on the Prospects Live trade deadline. Oh, no, it was the All-Star game. It wasn't trade deadline. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, trade. It was Futures yeah, game. Yeah, Futures game. That's what it was. It's, everything's running together at this point with the season. <laughs> You can tell in August. Yeah. And so that was a good time. <laughs> Hadn't seen you since last fall, I guess, in the fall league. And yeah, you know, we, tried we, to... we we tried to hook up when I was yeah. in Athens and you were going to be in Gwinnett. And uh, uh, unfortunately, like most things, uh, family situations on my end was uh, not able to do that. Um, but uh, thankfully, those things have cleared up. And, I'm, you know, I, I hadn't been at the ballpark except for like two times since June 1st. So. I'm really excited to get to somebody who's actually been to the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's uh, you know, been out a good bit this year, and that's been a uh, been a good time. Luckily, I have a stadium within ten minutes of my house, so I kind of uh, make it a pretty regular thing to go to Greenville and also, like I said, go over to Gwinnett some, depending on the matchup, and over to Columbia as well for some uh, single A coverage too. Yeah, you got that nice coverage area. I used to have that. And then uh, contraction. And, you know, I, w I was fairly close to the Appalachian League. So looking uh, losing that rookie league really was a killer. But, uh, but yeah, you're in that perfect little place where you got high A, low A, and triple A. Uh, I'm glad you don't have double A because I need some coverage. Uh, <laughs> That's the, the only, yeah, I don't have any double A anywhere close. Like I would have to come to probably Chattanooga, which is, I know yeah. your, your area, that would be the closest, probably next to like the Tennessee Smokies. And those are both like probably like three and a half, four hour drives from me. So. Uh, and the Smokies are moving a little further away from you. They're going to be moving downtown Knox, uh, yeah. Knoxville. So I did hear uh, about that. It's going to be, and, and actually Chattanooga is kind of like maybe a mile or two closer to you, but <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe you hit up a game in Chattanooga sometime and uh, hopefully we can, uh, we can hook up and uh, hang out there, but hopefully like sometime I make it to Greenville. Yeah. Have you ever been to floor field? I have not. I uh, have not. Great ballpark. It's uh kind of like a replica of Fenway, like a lot of the Sox minor leagues and it's just, Beautiful park right downtown. And this is like a new area of downtown, too, that they kind of built up around the stadium. So it's a great park. And it's uh, it's different because, like, I go to other minor league parks and there's, like, nobody there. But Greenville legit sells out, like, every night. And it's, like, 
wild to me. To the atmosphere every night. Like I go over to Gwinnett and it's like triple A. It's like nobody's here. Nobody cares. Or I go to Columbia for single A and like there's there's nobody here. <laughs> you go to Greenville on Tuesday night and it's like sold out. I'm like, what is going on here? Wow, that's awesome. Um, I, I yeah. figured Columbia would do well. I mean, uh it's a newer, newer team, but then yeah. again, there's no like real connection with that franchise, right? With the Royals. Yeah. yeah. Cause they were, they just became the Royals several years ago. They were the Mets. Yeah. And they switched over to the Royals. I guess that was 2021 when they like kind of reclassified everything. So yeah, there's, there's no real connection. And some like Friday nights, they do stuff. Saturday nights, they do stuff. Still get a crowd then. But if you go during the week, there's hardly anybody at the park. And it's kind of sad, but it's nice. Like you can just basically go wherever you want. I can, at Greenville, I struggle to go and get like, good shots because it's like there's nowhere for me to go then i'm standing in the aisles like if i'm gonna go try to get some open face looks i'm like just like crowded around people and i feel awkward <laughs> yeah i i have that problem uh it's triple a but nashville oh, nashville's yeah. always hopping and that's a hard place i get yelled at all the time you block above you uh, you know, and that's even with like my camera, like just mounted there, you know, that camera's right. knocking. I was like, no, it isn't. You can see through it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Little camera's uh, not doing anything. Yeah. If I can do it with the thousands of cameras that minor league teams put up nowadays, like, I think, I think you could do it, dude. 100%. Um, well, let me get to some of your background, Chris. Uh, tell us about your journey to prospect coverage and how long, uh, have you been writing for? Well, it, all started in 2020. You know, great time to start. I have been interested in this for a long time, and it really started probably back in 2016 when I joined my first dynasty league. And my first dynasty league was actually a 30-team league, just kind of like thrown straight to the fire. I found this league on some forum, probably. It may have been Reddit. It may have been, you know, I don't, I don't know where it was, but I was like, that sounds pretty good. I'm gonna give it a try. Because I, you know, I love baseball and played, you know, redrafts. I was like, I want to try this dynasty thing, and then instantly kind of fell in love with the prospect side of it and like finding the like up and coming prospects that nobody was really talking about yet. And so I kind of became pretty passionate about that. And over time, I was like, you know, like I feel like I'm pretty decent at finding these prospects. Like I kind of want to take it up to the next level a bit. And so. And honestly, like part of it was like learning about the industry leagues. Like I was like, I want to play against these guys. I listen to and I read like, you know, I want to give it a shot and see like what I can do. So I started a small little blog and started writing like in early 2020. And then I got picked up by SP Streamer at the very end of February of 2020. And then, you know, I got started going and then all of a sudden, you know, COVID hit and everything just shut down. And so I was like, okay. And, you know, we continued writing, like we continued doing our thing. We continued drafting, like fantasy people continued drafting. And there was a, a shortened season, but no minor leagues. And then I guess it really kind of took the next step that following season, because that summer I had connected with Eric Cross um, in a league we were in. And I began writing for fan tracks and kind of mm -hmm. expanding the prospect and dynasty coverage there. And in doing so, we kind of had the vision to start the Toolshed podcast. We were like, we both had the same interest. Like, we both love this. Like, let's do a podcast and uh, and do this coverage. And so, we started the Toolshed pod in late 2020. That was, I think, November 2020 might have been our first episode. It may have been later than that. I don't even remember at this point. It's just crazy how quick time it's goes. It's all a blur. Yeah, for sure. And so, that's kind of where it really got going. And then through that. 
I also, that same league that I met Eric in, I met Ian Kundalin, who works for Sox Prospects. And yeah, I got to know Ian a little bit. And he would come down here to Greenville for, for games to cover like once a year. And so I'd go up to games and hang out with him. And then through that, it was like, just built the connection. He's like, hey, you know, like we don't have anybody in the Greenville area. Like, you know, we'd love for you to provide some coverage for us and, you know, give us video, give us velocity readings on players. And that just kind of evolved like over the years. And so it started kind of small. And then last year, I think I did about 25 games, probably around that area. And this year, kind of up to, I think I'm up to over 30 games this year at the park between Greenville, Columbia and Gwinnett. Actually going to hit Asheville this week because uh, Hickory's over there and White Lankford will be in town. So I figured nice. probably my one chance to see him in the minors. I seen I saw him in college this year when Florida was at South Carolina, but figured I wanted to see him before he moved up really quick and went to Frisco, which is likely to happen um, pretty quickly. Maybe not this year, but so yeah. And it's just kind of evolved since then. That's kind of my, a little bit of my background and where I've uh, come from, like as far as like the process and you know, I was with fan tracks for a while and ultimately uh, that kind of led into something that we're going to talk about in your next question about the yes. dugout. So we can kind of uh, go that direction now if you want to. Yeah. Well, first I'm going to say I'm jealous that you're going to Asheville. It's one of my favorite, uh, favorite places more for the beer scene uh, <laughs> yeah. than the actual ballpark. McCormick field's a very unique ballpark. Uh, given the the fence dimensions and all of yeah. that kind of stuff. So, uh, but, but just a great, great little town, just like Greenville, all, all I've heard about Greenville, uh, same, same sort of vibe, it seems. Uh, so going into, uh, the dynasty dugout, uh, this last off season, you founded the dynasty dugout. Uh, how did that material materialize and what are some of the lessons you've learned from running your own operation? Well, it's uh, it was an interesting process, and like probably for a year, I kind of wanted to do like my own thing. You know, I was doing the prospect and dynasty coverage for fan tracks, and honestly, like it was. And this is no knock on Eric, but I was honestly just in Eric's shadow because like Eric had brought me on, like Eric yeah. had done a lot for me, and I had learned a lot from Eric. And like I said, this is no knock on him, but I was kind of in his shadow, like as far as that coverage was, like. You know, he was the prospect and dynasty guy at Fantrax, and I just did like the OBP coverage for dynasty leagues, and I did OBP ranks and for prospects and such. So, you know, I was like, for a long time, I was kind of like, you know, I want to see what I can do and kind of expand it, like to see like what would happen if I bet on myself. And so, like, it kind of things that kind of gotten weird at Fantrax, I guess. And, you know, most people listening probably know, like, me and Eric are, are no longer there. Um, we left, I'd already started the dynasty dugout and then ended up leaving. And actually at the time I had, um, joined pitcher list to do some dynasty coverage for them. Yeah. Uh, cause just connecting with Nick Pollock out at first pitch, which obviously something we're actually going to hit on during the show and something that you should definitely go to. Uh, yes. you know, I've met, obviously we've met out there in Arizona and, uh, met a lot of great people in Arizona, but I was on a panel with Nick Pollock from pitcher list and, so I got to know Nick a little more in that sense. And he was, you know, he was interested in expanding their dynasty coverage. And so I started doing that. I had started my own thing and I was with, had just was leaving fan tracks at that point. And, you know, I was balancing the doing the both of my own thing plus pitcher list. And um, we went through a pretty tough time with my family um, where we, we lost a baby. We had a miscarriage and then mm-hmm. my wife ended up being hospitalized like three weeks later for a week. She almost became septic. And during that time, like it was just, 
it was tough. And I was like, I can't manage a team at pitcher list. Like I knew that I couldn't be there for people like, and, and do this, what they needed done. And so I took a little break from there. And in that process of like a pretty rough mental state, I guess for about a month, you know, I kind of came to the conclusion, like I wasn't in a place to lead people. And that's a lot of what the pitcher list role was, was kind of leading the dynasty team. And I, I just wasn't in a place to do that. And so I ended up really finding myself more and just doing my own thing. And so like, while I was already doing the stuff at the dynasty dugout, I just kind of took that on. I stepped away from pitcher list just because of the fact that like, I just didn't have the capacity mentally or the time to really put into it that, that the team needed. And so like, I really began to focus just on the dynasty dugout side. And in that process of just uh, really putting all my efforts there and it gave me the ability to write when I wanted to, especially during that tough time. Like some yeah. days I didn't want to write about anything. I didn't care about baseball like for, for some time. And it really just put it into perspective also that, you know, life is short and we should pursue the things that we love and, and want and we're passionate about. And the doing my own thing, the dynasty dugout was something I'd had a vision for, for a while. And I was like, look, this is where I really need to focus and go all in. Like I want to bet on myself and I feel like if I work hard enough, like it'll pay off. And that's kind of um, what's happened this year. I've been really fortunate and blessed to have seen that. Some of the lessons I've learned from running my own operation <laughs> is uh, I was thinking through that when I got the uh, outline, like what have I learned doing my own thing? Well, in some ways, like I also like the freedom of being able to write about what I want to versus a site kind of telling you what they think is going to get clicks. And, you know, I, I hate to be so transparent with that, but a lot of sites are in it for clicks and it's yep. not a bad thing. I mean, that's how sites make money. Like it just is what it is, but being able to do my own thing, like I'm able to write about what I feel like is people need, like, how can I help benefit other players, dynasty players, prospectors and all that stuff? Like how can I benefit them the most? And that's what I'm going to write about running your own operations tough because I've also run into the business side of that too, of like, uh, <laughs> Figuring out how to do all the taxes. Like I, I actually started like an LLC with all this too. So like, it's like a small business in a sense. Good job. Like, good job. Figuring all this out. It's like, that's the side of this that like I had no clue about. Like, yeah, I can sit down and write an article every night. I can do podcasts, but like I had no clue about like the business side of all this. So like, I'm still learning that of, of what I need to do. Like, how do I use business expenses on like, if I go to the ballpark or go on like a scouting trip to like, if I'm driving in two hours to a ballpark, like all these things that can be put on quote business, like I'm having to learn about. And so that operation is completely different. And also we've had a couple of writers that are contributing to uh, Zach Beck is contributing. He does some dynasty points league content. So kind of uh, helping him out along the way too. And also Nate handy is now doing some stuff. He was with Pitcherless for a while and uh, he's, he was looking yeah. to get back. Amy's like, hey, do you mind if uh, I publish some work there? I was like, no, absolutely not. So, you know, we have a couple of writers that are contributing and then I'm kind of doing a daily piece at least on top of rankings. So it's been a lot of fun. And uh, that's kind of the process of how I got to here. Well, that's awesome, man. A uh, few few points there. Uh, I think your whole story, it, you're, you're now paying back. You're paying it forward, essentially. Uh, giving other people voices after you were, you know, able to get your voice out there and have several folks uh, believe in you and stuff. And yeah. uh, I, it's not a slight towards Eric Cross. Uh, you, you were in his shadow. Now, now you are an equal uh, and, and that's good. And who knows, yeah. you might, you might exceed him. He might even admit that, uh, you know, 
Um, you never know. It's just how it is, but it's hard to be in somebody's shadow. I started out way, way before you got involved. I started out with a guy named Mike Newman and I was in his shadow for several years. I mean, from 2011 to about 2014, I was in the man's shadow. And then I finally was able to break out of that. Um, it's always good. Um, you know, your mentors, the people that bring you along, that's, that's great. And I also, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you've taken a very hard thing in your life um, and you made it public. Um, and I, I applaud you for that. That's a, it's a very hard thing to do, uh, especially admitting to weaknesses, being weak at times and stuff because a uh, loved one uh, is going through something or if you're going through something as a couple and then, uh, you know, dealing with some depression, I, I'll, I'll admit on this show right now that, uh, I, I disappeared for about two weeks in July because I I just needed the mental break from everything. Um, my my wife and I have been primary caregivers to two people that have recently passed away, mm-hmm. and so like it's just a it, it it's hard sometimes. So it it reminds other people by sharing your story uh, that they're human, including myself. I can I can take that like I instantly matched up to that um and you know i just hope people didn't notice my absence when i was absent but i mean that's true i mean you 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 have to take time and you know baseball is a light in my life and it sounds like it's a light in your life and no matter how hard life gets i know baseball is there for me no matter you know if i have to leave it for a month or two months or even a year i know it's still there Hundred percent, I agree. It's um, it's an outlet in a way. It's um, yeah. it's an escape from the things we deal with on a daily basis. And I can go, like, my wife still doesn't quite understand how I enjoy sitting at the ballpark by myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like, it's it's just what I love. Like, that's my element of going and just being in my element, being in the zone, and just you know taking in a game and you know writing every all the notes of everything I'm seeing. And you know, that's like you said, it's just an escape from what we deal with and the hard things. And so. Yeah. And like, I think the vulnerability is good, like, because people can connect and relate to us when we're, we're able to be vulnerable because we're all humans. We all go through struggles and we deal with things that are hard and we need one another. Like we need people to come alongside of us and have that community. And I think the baseball community, the fantasy community is really great in that sense. Yes, I agree. Um, Well, let's move on to another question real quick is uh, if there was one thing you could tell your younger self. Uh, when you were first getting involved as a fantasy contributor, uh, what would you tell him? It's <laughs> a good question. I I wish I would have gotten started sooner. Like I wish I could go back and be like, man, I start like I wish I could say I started in like college or something. But I'm 29 now. I'll be 30 you know, next spring. So I started this when I was, I guess, 26. So like I wish I could have said like start sooner. But I guess the biggest thing would be to not be afraid to ask questions. Because I think that it's easy when you jump in to kind of like be afraid to ask for help. And like in some way, like that's admitting like a weakness, but that's okay in a sense. Like we don't know everything. Like we can't know everything about every prospect. And that's the best thing. One of the best things I've learned is to say like, I don't know. Like there were times when I used to would, like people would ask me about something and I would try to make something up or I'd throw something together real quick to try to act like I knew what I was talking about. But now like, I think one of the best things, like we have people in our Discord and they'll ask me about a player. And, you know, we've got some sharp minds in the Discord and they'll ask about a prospect. And I'm like, honestly, like, I have no clue who this is. Like, and so I was like, let me 
go watch some film. <laughs> Let me look into everything and I'll get back to you. Like, I'll be honest. I told no. Yeah. That, that happened in the beginning of the year with Jefferson Rojas when he first came up. Like, I honestly oh, just wow. wasn't familiar with, with Rojas. And it was like the day he got bumped to single A and I was I didn't know that much about him. It's like, hey, this dude's like taking off after like a game. And he was like, who is he? I'm like, honestly, no idea. Let me, uh, mm-hmm. let me really dive into this. And so like, it's a good avenue to really just be honest and say like, you know, we don't know. We can't know everything about every player, but we can always be willing to put the work in to learn. So I think that's probably one of the best, one of the things I would tell myself earlier, like one, it's okay to ask questions and two, it's okay not to know everything. Yeah. It's very hard to, to admit to that. Uh, when I was starting out, same sort of thing. I, I covered, I would use, I used to use the excuse, well, I only cover prospects live. <laughs> that was my excuse. Uh, and then once I got to Baseball HQ, it just it, it became like I needed to know all of this regardless. Uh, uh, when I was at a place called Roto Scouting, that's that's been out of business for a while. Um, that that was that was much that was very much the case. And if I were to tell myself, I, I got started when I was 29. So where you're at right now is when I got started. I'm 43 now. Um, and the thing I would tell my 29-year-old self was to uh, believe in the fantasy part more than the just the prospect part, because that's that's where I came. It took me five years to realize that the money was in fantasy, yeah. uh, even though I played it and I, I played dynasty leagues. I didn't realize that that's where the money was. Yep, and like that's completely my background is fantasy. So like that's yep. kind of how I I got to here ultimately. So you know, it's uh, it is interesting to see though. You're right. I mean, like. I wonder like where the prospect side of things would be if it wasn't for fantasy, because like, I dare say like most people that are reading about prospects are dynasty league players for the most part. It's my guess. Or Met fans. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And that's a great segue. We're going to get to the prospect reports from the field. And, uh, you gave me a list of a lot of great guys, a lot of guys that we've covered so much on this show. <laughs> I think only one of the names that I, that I picked uh, we've covered, and it was only off a of video look. So I, I like the live look that's coming this way. And that's that's going to be our last prospect that we cover. Uh, but our first prospect is uh, Drew Gilbert. Uh, he was a University of Tennessee player, uh, first rounder last year for the Astros, got drafted by the Astros and was recently acquired by the New York Mets and the Justin Verlander Verlander deal. Uh, what did you uh, get out of Drew Gilbert? I know that you got to see him while he was with Asheville, correct? Yes. So I got three of those six games. I think I got to when Asheville was down. I've seen Asheville twice now when they've been down here, but obviously they were here this past or two weeks ago, and he's uh, obviously been gone since then. But it was early in the year. Yes. Um, when he was when they were in Greenville. And so I got some decent looks. He honestly surprised me a bit by his size. Like, and obviously like a new smaller guy, but he was a bit smaller than I expected when I first saw him. But he does impact the ball well despite the size. Like, it's not a knock on him anyway. Like, that was kind of my first impression though when I saw him. Like, okay, like, yeah, you read he's 5'9, 195 is what he's listed at. But I saw him like, mm-hmm. okay, like he really is like he's he's small, but he impacts the ball. Like He's got a smooth swing from the left side. Uh, good contact skills as well. So a couple of things that I did notice off the bat were they threw him a lot of high fastballs and saw him swing and miss through some of those. But 
I also saw him adjust, and I've seen him adjust like as the season has gone on to really work on that. And there's flaws and there's holes in every prospect's game ultimately. But Gilbert kind of went through a slump as well when he went to double A. I know some of that was injury related where yeah. he's, he's been dealing with some injuries and then he's been playing through it. So, you know, we're willing to give him uh, a bit of a pass there in that sense because, you know, it's it's tough to play through injuries. But ultimately, Gilbert to me at the plate, I mean, pretty disciplined hitter for the most part. Didn't chase too often in my looks. Uh, he's pretty aggressive, though. It's swinging in the zone. Like his swing rate this year is pretty high. I mean, it's not overly high, but swing rate's running like 47% right now. So it's a good range and certainly healthy in zone swing rates. And the contact rates are, are fine, too. I don't think he's like a standout contact type guy, but I mean, he's at least average contact. Like the contact rates suggest that, I'd say. And you probably look and see like, his double A numbers in with Houston and you, you see like, Oh, he hit 241. Like this is who he is. Like he's just not a good hitter. And I'd say that's not the case because I really do believe that injuries played a big factor, but also like we look at what Gilbert did in high A and I think we have to take a step back as well because you mentioned it earlier in the show, but Asheville is home park is an absolute bandbox where any hitter can go and just obliterate home runs. And we saw Gilbert have six home runs and 95 plate appearances. I don't think I saw him have a home run in this series early in Greenville. I was looking. Yeah, he did not hit a home run that series. He did have a couple of really good games, though. He That series, when he was in town, he actually had five two-hit games, which is uh, pretty wild to have five or six games. Have hit yeah, two that's hits. pretty crazy. So that's pretty solid. They were all singles, but still, like you're seeing – um, solid field for contact, putting a lot of balls in play. I was just looking back at all my notes on him. It looks like he struck out four times that whole series. So, you know, that's a pretty solid look there. But I will say, I think Gilbert has better days ahead for him, just from the standpoint of him, you know, getting over this injury that he's been dealing with. Now he's in a new org. He, you know, has some people to impress. Like you obviously want to step in when you're in New York and yeah. hit the ground running. And I think that's what it'll do. But I think, you know, you're looking at probably average hit, average power, maybe a bit above average power, depending on, you know, what what you get on a given day. But he has a swing that when he gets to the pool side can get to above average power. And he's got good speed as well. I think speed's kind of a bit of an underrated aspect of his game. But I do expect Gilbert to not be a zero on the base pass for like fantasy purposes. I think he's going to steal you some bags. Like we've seen him steal 10 this year, but he's got pretty good wheels and a pretty stocky frame for, for being five, nine. So I think yeah, there's very some stocky. Yep. And there, there's some, some power in there as well. Well, that's a great report. I, I unfortunately missed him because uh, he got called up uh, right before he got to Rome. Uh, <laughs> that's been actually the story of a lot of my season is I've had a lot of prospects that just get called up right before uh, they get to Rome. Uh, it hasn't really happened in double A, but it's it's been a thorn in my side this year in high A. Right. Um, but here he got called up for a guy that you got to see. I, I saw Ryan Clifford. That's the other guy that uh, was acquired in the – uh, Astros deal with the Mets uh, for Verlander. I had the worst look at Ryan Clifford. He uh, swung and missed a bunch during the ser- series. Uh, I think he had 
I don't think he got a hit during the entire seven game or six game frame. Uh, uh, he was going against a lot of very advanced pitching. Uh, the Atlanta Braves organization, as folks know, uh, the farm system's tapped out of a lot of talent right now. Uh, but what they have is a lot of college arms that are kind of crafty. And when there's a young kid like Clifford that comes up that has some holes in a swing, uh, that team eats them for lunch uh, almost every time. So uh, you got a decent view at Ryan Clifford, I think, and hopefully can fill in some of the holes that my article might not have been able to fill in. Uh, so uh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, it was actually a, a pretty mixed bag. And I remember you talking about him after your look and talking about kind of being unimpressed with him and the first game. So I'll go Tuesday night and that was exactly what he was. He was completely unimpressive. He was 0 for 4 with two K's. And like, I literally wrote that down. I was like totally unimpressive. Like I think both of his balls in play were just like rolled over choppers to first base. Mm -hmm. And I was like, goodness gracious. Like, all right, I know there's more for this kid because you know, he showed it like, you, you you see him on yeah, film, you see the numbers, and it's like there's more there. But golly, that was not a good first look. But the first like first impression was like you look at the frame, it's like all right, he he gets off the bus and like he's a physically impressive kid. Like he's six three, two hundred pounds. Like him and Jacob Melton were on the same that same team. Melton has him size wise, but Clifford really solid frame, and you see how he gets that power with ease because the frame. Honestly, the bat speed, he's got good torque with, with that build as well. So really just turn on balls and ultimately get to that power. But as the week progressed, I think I saw him. I only saw him twice that week. I had a couple things going on. So I only made it to the park twice for that series. But I did catch one of the games that he homered. He did homer twice in the series, and I was at one of those. It was a one-for-four game, but he had a two-run home run, and he struck out once. So you know, it was an up-and-down series for him like i said it wasn't the worst i mean he did get on base i think every game except for that first one that i mentioned where he was 0-4 with the two k's and ultimately to me like i have still have questions where the hit tool is and i think that's mm -hmm. kind of the the biggest concern with me is like i get it like he is a he's a prep guy so like he's faced some decent pitching high you mentioned it i've seen rome a couple times I've actually seen Rome like five or six times this year, and they've got some pretty good arms. They're like 24, 25, but there's some interesting arms yeah. in that org. Like I saw, gosh, I saw a guy the other night who really wowed me. Uh, look up his name. I don't even remember, but he was uh, highly impressive. He was a 25. Oh, Daniel Martinez, 25 year old. Oh, okay. He was like, he was throwing some nasty sliders, making guys look silly. But anyway, aside the point, Greenville has some pretty solid arms as well so we've had wickelman gonzalez he's obviously bumped uh, but now luis perales uh angel bastardo has been really good so like these guys have some stuff that gives these younger hitters uh some fits like you mentioned clifford is 20 years old he was a bit older for the draft last year so with the prep guys i'm kind of like uh, like you know you want to see i think a bit more with the contact but ultimately like that's what it comes back to me for like there's no denying the power like when mm -hmm. he connects, like it's really good, but the contact rates have been fine, which is interesting to me. Like I look at the contact rates and he's 77% for the year, which is 
pretty solid. And then you look at what he's done since he bumped to high. He was in single A earlier in the year. And the numbers honestly have gone up a bit, which is which is kind of interesting to see. I don't like I didn't see a 77% contact rate, which I think is pretty solid for a like first full season prep guy. Yeah, definitely. But I yeah, I did see a semi-disciplined hitter. Like he knows the zone fairly well. Like he can take a walk. And obviously the power is probably the biggest aspect of his game. The other question is like, where does he play in the field? Uh, yes, I saw him at first base, first base, both games. So that was a uh, pretty interesting. I didn't see him in the outfield. I know that he's played some in the corner outfield spots, but I only saw him at first base. He's fine there. Ultimately, like where does he land? And if he's first base only, I think there's a lot of pressure on the bat. So he's really going to have to perform with the bat, which I think he's capable of. But the power is going to have to play up to his full potential. And I think he's going to have to make the most of his contact. So I like Clifford. I'm probably not as high on him as some people that I've seen. But, like, I don't know. Like, I think there's room for growth still in this profile. And I get it. I get where uh, other guys are higher on him. Uh, You know, they see that contact rate. They also uh, see how hard he's hitting the ball. Uh, I I mean, we don't in fantasy talk a lot about defensive position, obviously. Um, I got to see him in the outfield for my looks, and uh, he's about the worst arm that I've ever seen uh, in right field. Uh, And there's been a slew of guys, including Tim Tebow, that had a really bad arm. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and like it, it is, it is bad. Uh, I think you only can fit him in left field, uh, as an outfielder, uh, and knowing that you're not going to get, uh, very clean reads or anything like that. It's a very, uh, like, I don't think he's even a bad athlete. I just think he's just not comfortable out there. And then of course the arm, the arm's pretty bad. So I, I'm glad that you got to see him at first base, uh, because, Obviously, I didn't. And when you're doing video stuff, you can't, you know, yeah. you can't guess where, you know, somebody's going to be at. That's why, uh, you know, there's organizations now um, uh, on the amateurs that are putting video on the field, uh, like just watching the guy's position because you just don't see it. You can't you can't get that grasp. That's like you can get 90 percent, 95 percent of the scouting story off of video, but that that five percent, there's some things that you can't. And that's one of them. So uh, thank you for that one, um, because I really needed that. Um, Dalen Lyle, uh, outfield prospect for the Washington Nationals at one of the worst uh, hitting parks in all of baseball. Yeah. Uh, our listeners, Brent Hershey's based out of Philadelphia and he has a lot of coverage when he gets out at Wilmington and it's, it's dreadful for hitters. Uh, tell us about Lyle. So I saw Lyle in single a when they were down here in Columbia. So I only got two games of him, but Lyle's pretty impressive for a, a smaller guy. He really put some pop into his swing and I'm say smaller guy. He's bigger than Drew Gilbert, which is interesting. He's listed two inches taller at, 5'11", also 195 like Gilbert. But ultimately, like, he really stood out and impressed me. He hit, had, Ben Coderna was pitching one night. First pitch home run off of him to lead off the game. He had three hits that night as well. So, like, that obviously left a pretty big impression on me, just making a ton of contact, like, 
He sprayed it to all fields, but also like the poolside power on Lyle was pretty good. Like that home run he hit off Caderna was off like a 94 mile an hour fastball and he pulled it. And I don't ha have the exact number on how far it went, but I dare say it was 420 at least with how far he hit it. He smoked it. And just the, the overall contact ability that he had, it was interesting because that game, he also got hurt at the end of the game and it looked pretty serious. But he did come, he missed one game and he came back on the following night and had another two hit night, which I saw as well. And so for me, like when I saw Dalen Lyle, one, he's pretty solid in the field. Like he moves well. He's not the fastest runner for a smaller guy. You'd expect him to move a little better, but ultimately does move well enough. And he's efficient on the base pass. Like he has 22 steals this year, just six caught stealings. I don't put a lot of stock into that at the lower levels, but I saw pretty good jumps when he did attempt those steals. I think he may have had two steals when I saw him. Okay. But but just spraying the ball around, like really good feel for contact. And I think the power is a little bit better than advertised based on, again, I don't want to formulate an opinion on two games, but I think he's got at least average game power in there with you know above average or better feel to hit. Like it's uh, – Really good contact. I think it's good plate discipline as well. Like he's run really high OBPs. And you look and yeah, the numbers since he's moved to high A aren't good. But as you mentioned, it's uh not a great hitter's environment. And it's also a big step for a 20-year-old taking that step from, from single A pitching and now facing some more advanced arms in high A. So I'm not overly worried about Lyle yet, but strong contact, I think better than ever better than advertised power and some sneaky speed in there too. I, I usually stay away from the Nationals prospects just because that's Brent's uh, Brent's bread and butter. Uh, when, when you dropped his name, you're like the second or third person that's uh, dropped this name recently to me. So I, I went back and I, I looked at a lot of the video. First off, Columbia's video feed. Oh my God, that's uh, that's atrocious. I was just <laughs> I, I was just peeking to see if I could uh, see you in the video, and uh, uh, yeah. there's there's no way from that side view to. No. Make sure you make sure. Uh, I, I love that. I love stadiums where I can go to where nobody can peek me. Uh, <laughs> J Jesse Roach got me this year at Chattanooga while he was watching the oh, video. Yeah. Uh, it's like, That's oh, funny. darn. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. But like just watching him, uh, just very surprised at his uh, ability to. to get that sort of loft to the opposite field. Yeah. I think that, I think that's what really stands out in this video, uh, especially from such a smaller uh, framed guy. Um, it, you know, just doesn't seem that that sort of power is coming out of this, uh, this thing. And I always, I always love to, to peek at the pitching matchups uh, and seeing some of the names that he's gotten hits off of this year. He's gotten hits off of good pitchers. This is not a guy that's just, raking it against bad uh bad pitching and Kaderna is a perfect example of somebody who you and i saw Kaderna yep. in arizona uh, did. uh two years ago so it's kind of funny that uh that that was uh, one of the guys that you saw him against yeah. uh, but not because the columbia is kansas city's affiliate and uh you know you're gonna have to see those kansas city prospects there so uh <laughs> It's a perfect time to uh, do our little advertising. We don't have a, uh, we usually have an ad for uh, Baseball HQ Radio, but not this week. So I'm just going to read it off. If you haven't listened to Baseball HQ Radio yet, you're missing out. Host Patrick Davitt 
or Petey as we refer to him, has an excellent episode this week with legendary guest Todd Zola. Plus, as always, there is player news from Ray Murphy of Baseball HQ, Baseball HQ commentaries, and more. Check out the award-winning and flagship Baseball HQ radio through your favorite podcast, or just simply log on to BaseballHQ.com and look for the Baseball HQ radio widget. Uh, I'm just going to say right now that Patrick does much better job than than I, than I do uh, doing his show here. So uh, not doing his podcast. I think I do a pretty good job. But let me just put it that his ads are much better uh, than mine. So uh, this is also a great time to let our listeners know that registration continues to be open for the 28th annual First Pitch Arizona, November 2nd through 5th at the Sheridan Mesa Wrigleyville, which is right next to Sloan Park, home of the base of Solar Sox of the Arizona Fall League, and this year's site for the Fall Stars game for the second straight year. It's a great weekend packed full of fantasy baseball seminar scouting, socializing with some of the most recognizable fantasy baseball personalities from a variety of websites, including running into folks like Chris Clegg, who presented at the conference last year, was also on a panel with uh, that I moderated. Uh, I really need to look into that panel and see who's who's winning that league. Um, but we had a rookie draft worked. last year. You're not... Uh, no, I have not looked at it. I've like it's just like one of those things because it sits. It's like okay, like it was just a yeah eight spots, right? We I haven't even looked at the standings. I'm curious. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna have to figure that one out uh, and and post that to Twitter maybe tomorrow. Uh, uh, and also he's coming back this year. Clegg will be a presenter this year. It's already been announced. So I'm excited about that. I'll be presenting this year uh, as I normally do. So anyway, registration information is available at our website baseballhq.com. And we hope to see you there. Uh, any any comments about first pitch uh, other than what you already said? It's the uh, my favorite week of the year, and you should 100% go. Like the cool thing is that you even if you're not in the industry per se, like everybody's approachable. You can talk to anybody. Like you can you spend time at games with people. Just and so honestly, some of the best times just in the hotel lobby, just hanging out, talking, and getting to know people better. We, we do a golf tournament while we're out there, like some of the guys that play golf. So if you play golf, like that's on tap. Like you can play golf with me and Jeff Erickson and Bubba and Ryan Bloomfield and a bunch of other people. It's, uh, it's a good time. And honestly, it's my favorite. I, I'm not kidding when I say it's my favorite week of the year, and I'm highly looking forward to being out there again. The Arizona Fall League's awesome, and the conference is, is great as well. So it's uh, worth going to. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a great time. Uh, I, I actually leave out on Halloween. I'm going to spend the whole week there. Uh, I'm originally, well, I'm not originally from Arizona, but that's that's what I consider home. So I'm going to try to get down to Tucson where where I'm from. So, um, But anyway, just please, please uh, look into this if you're interested. Uh, I, I, I regret not going my first year uh, that I was with Baseball HQ, but uh, I've been every year since 2016, with the exception of 2020 when we did not have a uh, thing. Uh, so that's uh, that's basically what happens. You you came in 2021, and it's going to be hard to get you away from there. So. <laughs> I, I mean, that's just what it is. I was, yeah. I was talking the same thing with Jeff Ponce. Same thing. He was first year last year, and it's it's just hard to uh, not do it after you do it one year because it, it is so much fun. Sure is. 
All right, let's get back to more prospect reports from the field. And uh, I wrote this guy up at our website. Uh, I wrote him up because uh, he was a hot name. And uh, this was at, while he was at uh, single-A Salem. Uh, and that is Roman Anthony, outfielder from the Boston Red Sox, who's uh, been a big name this year, even though his single-A season wasn't the greatest statistically. Uh, you got to see him, I'm assuming, uh, in Greenville. Uh, what, what were some of your thoughts uh, getting to scout him? Yeah, so I first saw him in Columbia. I went when Salem was in Columbia because, one, I was like, I don't know if Luis Perales will be up this year. I don't know when Roman Anthony will get the promotion. So I was like, yeah, going to, going to see these guys. So I, I got one look in single A before the bump. And, you know, first thing that really stood out is, like, he's really solid center fielder. Like, that – is probably the most underrated aspect of his game. Everybody's talking about his bat, like his bat's been great. The power breakout in high A has been fun to watch. He's very patient, disciplined hitter. But I'm telling you, he plays a plus center field. He, the plays he makes, the jumps that he gets, the reads, like everything tells me he can stick in center field. doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, but if that's the biggest knock on him, if he's an average arm, then whatever. I mean, I, like... I, I'm not exaggerating. I really do believe he's a plus center fielder. I've I've only seen him play center field, and he's been just highly impressive. Every game, he's making some kind of big play out there in the outfield, whether it be a, a diving catch on something that should be a bloop into center field, or he's trekking all the way to the wall. And in Greenville, in center field, like rightish center, there's a weird jut that goes out to 420 feet, and like saw him make an incredible catch like right in that corner going up on the wall and seriously the range is impressive like i've got some video up of that and i actually just wrote up a pretty detailed scouting report on him yesterday that's on the dynasty dugout just seen him about 10 or 15 times at this point now i felt pretty comfortable writing him up in, in detail and you know so the glove's impressive but for fantasy people they don't care about that but with the bat i mean yeah the the numbers have ticked down a bit recently. I am, I'm not overly concerned because he's still making really good contact. I mean, we're talking about him running 85% zone contact right now, like this year. And that's since joining high A. His numbers in single A were uh, equally as good. He doesn't chase at all. 16% um, chase rate since joining high A, and that was 17% in single A. So very disciplined hitter. Hits the ball incredibly hard. I mean... Since he joined Greenville, he has a 54% hard hit rate and 105.5 mile an hour, 90th percentile EV, which is very, very good for somebody who just turned 19. Big physical moves well, though. I mean, he's six, listed 6'2", 200 pounds. There's probably a little more room for him to, to add some strength to the frame, mm -hmm. in my opinion. You look at it and you could see him adding 10 to 15 more pounds of muscle. And he's already gained a big power. There's been some questions because a lot of his high A home runs have been opposite field shots. And that's true. Like, it's absolutely been true that he has gone oppo over the green monster at floor field a lot. But he's also shown some really impressive poolside power. We haven't seen as many of those. And the highlights have been a lot of his oppo shots. But I've seen him hit some monster poolside home runs as well. He hit one that was 440 a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, that should tell you a lot about a 19-year-old that, is putting a ball out there 440 feet with a uh, wooden bat. And that was off the track, man. So like you can trust that that's pretty accurate. And so big power, 
and even more room to grow. I think there's a good field to hit. He hits to all fields well, as I mentioned. Like you've seen a lot of the opposite field hits as well. He's banged some opposite field doubles off the green monster. He's put home runs over the on the opposite field. The interesting thing, and I will say, I, the first time I really saw him get exploited was this past weekend on Saturday night. The Braves had something out on him. I mentioned their starter, who was throwing some nasty sliders, 25-year-old, kind of advanced arm, and he was throwing him nothing but sliders. And Anthony struck out four times. And I was like, that was the first time in any of my looks I'd said Anthony, Roman Anthony wow. looked vulnerable at all. There was a lot of swing and miss that I hadn't seen. And part of me wonders if it's just an adjustment period of like, all right, the, the book's out. Like, we're going to start throwing you more and more spin. He saw very few fastballs. Uh, he may have saw two or three fastballs in five plate appearances in on Saturday night. And so that caught my attention as well. But I will say, like, I I think that also in the the first season, like a first full year season for a prep guy, like it's, it's pretty taxing. So we're in August now. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Anthony kind of wear down a bit as the season has gone on. He actually had a, a pretty serious illness that kept him out for over a week um, in July. And so, like, he was obviously worn down a bit from that. Like, I talked to him a couple times. And, like, he honestly wasn't sure when he was going to play again. Like, he was out a week. And, like, he wa- he had no clue, like, when he'd be able to come back, like, to be in the condition to come yeah. back. And so, that that's also the factors that the box scores don't tell you, which you won't see most of the time. But, like, with Drew Gilbert's struggles, like, some injuries he's dealt with, like, Anthony had a pretty serious illness that, that did set him back a bit, I'd say. So, you know, I think he'll be fine in the long run. And... He's been highly impressive. I mean, honestly, like I saw Marcelo Mayer a lot, and I know it's a smaller sample of what I've seen Anthony, but Anthony's been more impressive to me than than I saw mm-hmm. him anything from Marcelo Mayer over probably forty looks at, at Mayer over last year and then early this year. Well, that's a that's a high compliment. I, I'm going through his video. I'm trying to see uh, specifically reasons why he is. So uh, opposite field heavy. Uh, this isn't like a kid like uh, Davison um, De Los Santos who can't mm-hmm. hit it, can't you know? Like when he's cheating to the pull side, he's hitting the ball to the pull side. Like I think this is more so that he, it's more of approach uh, that he's trying to go left center. Like that is his seems like his game plan. So yeah. Uh, but like you know, on both of these pulled home runs that are in this little video package that I'm looking at, uh, like I'm just gonna say, like he cheats it. If you're able to cheat it, you're gonna be able to. Cut. It's gonna come to the game. This is like yeah. you know, De Los Santos. We watched him in the Arizona Fall League trying to pull everything because they were trying to work with him in the fall league to pull stuff. And the kid couldn't do it for the life of him. This isn't the same situation. So any of those naysayers, listen to Chris Clay, Chris Clay's got the, got the the deal with him here. This this dude right here is, is, is going to possibly be a monster. Uh, I I, I mean, this is, this is unbelievable uh, power display. Um, that I just watched in this little video thing. So thank you for that. Uh, moving on to a organizational and current teammate, uh, a pitcher for our first pitcher on this list, uh, Luis uh, Perales, uh, right-handed pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, uh, tell us what you've, uh, what you were able to see in single A and I guess in high A too now. Uh, yeah. Yep. So he's, uh, he got called up, I think three weeks ago. And so I originally went to Greenville to see him because I was like, this kid's looking really sharp. I want to see him. 
And now, obviously, he'll pitch tomorrow night, so I'll see him again tomorrow or today as you're listening to this on Tuesday. Um, with Perales, it's a uh, really solid fastball. He's he's sitting 95, 96, up in the zone, like really good ride on the pitch too. Like he's 16 inches of IVB on average this year. He's thrown a lot of strikes, especially from like May on. He early in the year was kind of inconsistent strike throwing, a lot more walks. But I tell you, he's been rather impressive with how he's like improved his command over this year. Like I saw him the first time in Columbia in early June. And even the difference to now has been really impressive. And I think a lot of it is that Luis Perales has gone from someone who was a thrower and like had good stuff to now he's a pitcher and he's learning how to really pitch. And I'd argue that his command has honestly taken a full grade tick up, like probably from below average command to average command at this point. And right now it's only been two live looks, but I have watched a lot of film on him too. And again, I'll have another look this week, but I think what, what's impressed me the most with him is first off the fact that he's just improved the command as much as he has, but also you look at the fastball, it sets everything up because the fastball is just rather impressive. He blows it by hitters with ease sitting 95 up in the zone with that kind of ride. It's hard for, a single A and even high, most high hitters to catch up to yeah. because they're not used to seeing that kind of pitch. He mixes a change uh, sparingly, I'd say, and the change was 87, 89. So there's some decent separation. I'd like to see a little more separation with time, but it's fine. Like it's enough separation where it's okay. And then he has a pretty like a hammer of a curveball, kind of blends sliderish at times, but it's in like the lower 80s. Like you know, he's 81, 83 uh, when I've seen him live but ultimately just how he mixes his pitches is impressive he keeps hitters on their toes at all times he's had a lot of big strikeout games he's had uh three double digit strikeout games since uh june which is pretty impressive and on the season look back okay just three on the year but like i said he's really taken that step forward in late may and early june we really saw him take off and you know he actually was roughed up a little bit last week by uh, Bowling Green. They were on uh, Greenville was on the road, and he had a two inning start in which he allowed uh, three earned runs, and it was probably his worst start since the first one of the year. But he bounces back really strong last week against Rome with a 10K outing, five innings of zero earned runs and three walks. So like the walks come and go, but ultimately, like I said, I think that the command has come up to at least average, and the controls even improved some too, where he's not walking as many guys. And I really do believe that Perales is the best pitching prospect in the Sox system. I've seen, I think almost all of them live at this point, like anybody of relevance is above, like anybody that's in full season, ball, I've seen live and Perales is by far the most impressive to me. Wickelman is impressive. Wickelman Gonzalez, but his stuff ticks back as the start goes on. And I haven't yeah. seen that with Perales. Perales, stuff holds the entire start. The Velo's holding deep into stars. Yeah, he's only thrown six innings once this year, but he's throwing five consistently. And this is his first really full season too. So like, I wouldn't be alarmed by him only throwing five innings a start, but he's had fives. He's had 5.2 innings. He's had a six inning start. And to me, like when the stuff is holding the whole start, like that speaks a lot of volume. And that's what I've seen with Luis Perales. 
Yeah, I, I, I've I've gotten to see Winkleman uh, Gonzalez. Uh, I I saw him. I guess uh, Rome's home opener, and mm-hmm. it, it was a rough look. Uh, but like again, even in that start, even though he didn't last long, uh, the the stuff just flattened out as as the game went on. Uh, it's sad to hear that that's still an issue. I thought that might have been just like opening day or opening week or first month of the year on him. That's but that's my struggle with him is that it's in like start to start it's inconsistent. Like I sat in one start probably a month ago and. Like actually, the uh, Red Sox like director of international scouting's there. I'm sitting with him, and like Wickman's throwing. He's 96 in the first, and he's down to 91, 92 in the in the fifth inning. It's like the and even the secondaries take a step back, like stuff wise. His start goes down, and I see him the next week, and the stuff holds. I'm like, mm-hmm. it's just so much inconsistency. Like there's the upside, there's the potential, but like I I want to see that start over start, and not just like a every other start thing. And that's that's kind of what I've seen with him. I probably saw him three, four, five times, maybe probably four times this year. I have to look back at my book, but it was just inconsistent. Like some starts were really good. And then others you see it and it's like, man, like he's a reliever. Like, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I'm just up in the air with what to do with him right now, honestly. Most guys that I've, uh, you know, through the years, guys that have been like that, if uh, by the time they get to double A, if it's not solved, uh, usually that's a really bad sign. I haven't known any of them, A, to start uh, once they get to the major leagues, but I haven't known many of them to have a long career, uh, really, uh, beyond just like a few cup of coffees or a few things. I think the most successful guy that I've ever really saw with that had three seasons in the big leagues, and uh, that's Chris Withrow. Uh, former oh, yeah. former Braves reliever. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. I, I I got a lot of looks at him when he was at Chattanooga when they were a Dodgers affiliate, and and that was the thing. Like uh, it could be starting out ninety six, ninety seven in the first, and being at ninety one in the in the fifth, and then the next day, next game, he's got his velocity the entire time uh, uh, during that start. Yeah, you, you know, by Double A, you know that's a reliever. Um, uh, and there's been several examples. A lot of the Dodgers prospects uh, from that time ended up in that same little boat, just like uh, Withrow did. So uh, throwing a weird comp there, but um, <laughs> that was the first thing that came to my head. Yeah. Somebody who who was like that. Uh, we're going to go a little bit quicker through the last three guys. Yeah, I'm um, sorry for taking too much time. No, no, this is great. I wanted to get a lot out of those first five guys more so than the next three. Uh, I think the next guy's the most interesting of the group, uh, and that's Austin Charles, shortstop from the Royals organization, who's been in Columbia for, what, about a month now? Yeah, I think he was like uh, mid-June. Yeah, so it's been a month and a half probably because he only played a couple games at the complex and then went straight to Columbia. So he's uh, he's interesting. He's a big kid. It looks like he grew a little fast for his body. Like he just still doesn't know how to make it work. He's a really clunky runner, which is uh, interesting. Like I've seen some like plus run times on him and I don't have those at all. Like, you know, his, he, he, I will say he accelerates. Like I've seen him have a triple and he does get faster, like over longer runs, but his home to first times are like well below average. Like I have 30 home to first times on him. Like just because he's so big and clunky, he's very slow out of the box. And like 
that's a concern, but I've seen a lot of plus run times and I'm like, this is interesting. And I will say like, I, I do have them home to 30 at a triple and I'm like, okay, like I see where the plus came from, but the home to first, uh, it's, uh, it's not there at all. Like they're some pretty bad numbers. He hits the ball really hard. He has a really wonky swing is I guess how I would describe it. His upper and lower half almost works against each other in a way, but he's such a gifted athlete. Like he makes it work. But I've seen him against advanced arms. I've seen him against uh, Yarlin Susana. I saw him against, I'm trying to remember who, I have to look back at my notes at who else. But he's faced some decent arms. Like when I go to Columbia, it's normally to see a decent arm because it's a little bit of a longer drive. And so, like, um, let's see, I saw him, I remember who I saw him face in. The, I didn't get to see Schultz, unfortunately. I was going to go see Schultz, oh. but I did go to a funeral. Like that kind of sucked and threw that off. But uh, I, I saw him against Owen Murphy. Murphy was in town. I went to see him against Owen Murphy, which was interesting. I think that game, he didn't really do much of anything. And I saw him against Perales as well. So, like, he, I've seen him against good arms and I've seen him have mixed results ultimately. But there is a lot of swing and miss there. And there, is an incredible athlete there as well. And I think that's what's most important with Austin Charles to know is that he is a really good athlete for his size. I think he's really still working through things. I've really struggled with how to project him long-term though, because he is just so big and clunky, like like six foot six, like awkward runner, awkward swing, but he's 19. And I think there's room for him to figure these things out. Like with the right instruction, I I firmly believe that he's going to be fine. But right now, like, I don't know what to make of Austin Charles because in my looks, it's just been a lot of inconsistency. It's really slow out of the box. It's a really, if you want, like you can go to some of my film and watch him run. Like if you search my handle on Twitter and, and his name, like he's really awkward, clunky runner. It's a clunky swing too, but I'm interested to see like how it progresses because it is really weird to watch. He makes it work in some senses, but there's also some struggles there too. So it's a mixed bag of what I've seen. He runs like a giraffe. I mean, that's what it is. Yes. He's, yes. He, he's clumsy looking. He doesn't look comfortable running. No. Uh, obviously, obviously a, a stellar athlete just by, you know, uh, just looking at his, uh, his frame and everything. But like, it, it's almost like he's not like never learned how to run on the basis. No. No. That's a hundred percent true. It's so crazy. This is this is this is crazy video here. Um, all right, next dude, uh, Joey uh, Loberfito. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, uh, outfielder for the Astros. I missed him. I had Asheville very early in the year, and pretty much it seems like everybody missed him unless <laughs> they were actually at those first few games because uh, he got called up pretty quickly. What what do you have on these? Yeah, it was only the series where I also saw. Uh... Gilbert when I got him as well. So I didn't get much of him because he was gone rather quick and he's, he's bumped through the system uh, quickly, which has been fun to see. He was up in double a in April actually. So yeah, he, I was just looking and he had, you know, only eight games in, in high a, which is crazy, but he's impressive. Like, honestly, like everybody talks about uh, Jacob Melton in that system. And I like Melton a lot. I've seen, I've gotten two series with him now, but man, I'll tell you, Joey Loprofito's impressed me a good bit. Again, he's a uh, bigger dude, 
He's six, listed 6'3", 220, but he's a rather good athlete given his size. I think he's got a better hit tool than advertised. He's got a, a lot of power in this profile, too. Um, I, I'm a big fan of what I saw, even though it was a pretty small sample. I think he's the one that's underrated and not talked enough about. Obviously, we know now that like Gilbert's out of the system and Clifford's out of the system, so Loperfito may get more love. But again, I get it. He's 24. Like he was a bit older, but again, you look at the circumstances. I think when people talk about late age to level, they don't really factor in the circumstances of everything of what's going on. And you know, Loperfito was in the 2021 draft, and he was a college draftee, and so then he didn't spend. He spent a little bit of time in low A in 2021. And then last year in 2022 was between uh, low and high A. And then this year, obviously up to double A, he wasn't in high A very long. So I think like he's at the appropriate place and I wouldn't be surprised if they even push him a bit more aggressively. But with what I saw was a, a big body guy that ultimately I thought controlled the zone pretty well, despite the you know, bigger frame and the kind of the stigma that you, when you look at him, you say like, okay, this guy may not be like a high contact guy, that's exactly what he's been all year. He's running a 78% contact rate, which is pretty impressive. And that's with most of the time in double A yeah. against pretty advanced pitching. And so obviously now in the Texas league, hitter friendly environment, like the power's going to play up, but the contact's still stuck. And I think the power's there regardless of where he plays based on the frame, the swing. I think there's easy juice here. Like it's, it's above average to plus power in my opinion. And I look at and see an average field to hit as well. I, I was curious how he would handle more advanced pitching in double A and he's handled it rather well in my opinion. So I'm pretty in on Joey Loperfito. I think he's pretty underrated. Just watching his video the other day, uh, you know, he hits us several, uh, several little things, uh, metrics or whatever that, that you see from a lot of the Astros prospects. So uh, perfect guy, uh, sleeper guy that, that, Probably plays up, and you're going to find that a lot in the Astros organization, wouldn't you agree? 100%. They do a great job of developing, and this is their, like, mold of player. Yes, yes, yes. Final guy on our list is Bubba Chandler, somebody that I talked about earlier this year, a guy that I actually didn't see him as a pitcher, as an amateur. I got to see him uh, play shortstop. Uh, but, uh, it's been a rough season for Bubba Tr- uh, Chandler. So, uh, what, what did, I almost called him Bubba Trammell, Trammell, <laughs> uh, old time baseball player there. Uh, uh, but Bubba Chandler, how, how has he looked for you? Well, I caught one start when he was in Greenville and he's actually going to be pitching this week and they're back in town. So I'll catch him again this week. I think he's slated to go Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. So have another look at him, but I'll tell you, I think he's a much better pitcher than the general stat line tells you because the pitches, the arsenal is ridiculously incredible. Like when I watch this guy, like he's pumping a 96 to 98 mile fastball up in the zone. And then so like I go up in the box, like for one inning of it, because I'm like, okay, like I just got to get all the track men numbers on this guy because like the first two innings, the fastball was just like ridiculously good. He was averaging 18 inches of IVB on it. Like that's like incredibly high end stuff, like on the track, man. So that, that impressed me too. And you had a ton of run as well. Like look at the arm side run, which impressed me as well. Like what he was doing, he mixed in this slider or sweeper. He had up to 17 inches of sweep on that thing. It was ridiculous. And also mixing the change up a little bit, not as often, 
and the changeup was upper 80s. It was 89-90. He did get some good swings and misses on it as well. It was a impressive look despite, like, and honestly, like, I don't even think the numbers were that impressive. I looked back at that start I was at, and he threw just 3.2 innings and allowed three earned runs. But I was more enamored by just the stuff in general. And you mentioned you saw him as a shortstop. He was a two-way guy. He was a incredible athlete in high school who was actually going to Clemson to play football, play quarterback, yeah. and, and baseball. So, like, this is a guy that I think is still learning how to pitch. But when you have stuff like that, it's kind of hard for me to ignore especially when I'm looking at those numbers. He's at a low release point. He was a he was a five foot four release heights, which is a, a low on the lower spectrum there. He repeated his delivery really well. It was a slow, full windup. Like I said, easy to repeat, easy velocity. He wasn't putting too much on it. And just the fastball itself set the slider up well. I mean, 96, 98 is hard to hit when it's 18 inches of IVB. Mm-hmm. And he had he was nine to 12 inches of horizontal movement as well on that pitch. Um, according to the track man. And so I did note that he was much better out of the windup than the stretch. He he seemed to struggle a bit more out of the stretch. And I think that's been a thing. I need to go back and watch a little bit more on the film. And I'll and I'll take more notes of that this week when I see him. But that was something that I did take note of. It was like he was really consistent and good out of the uh, the windup, but not the stretch. But ultimately the stuff was just there where I was like, holy cow, like I can't ignore this stuff. And then the track man was like 100% backing up where I'm like, okay, like you can't ignore a fastball that's good, a sweeper that's got those kind of metrics, and a changeup that's pretty solid itself. So I think that Bubba Chandler is still figuring out how to pitch, but I think this is a guy that is could figure it out. And worst case, like he's going to be a dominant reliever, but you look yeah. at his last, his last four starts have been pretty impressive. Um, he's taken it to the next level to where over the last four – He's allowed just one earned run, and he's had 24 Ks over 22 innings and just four walks. So um, seems to be figuring something out. I'm looking forward to seeing him again this week and seeing if anything's different. But Chandler's stuff, absolutely insane. Yeah, I, I got him, I think, in three weeks. Two or three weeks I have him in town. So I'm looking forward to seeing him as uh, same same as you here. Uh, you know, when, when I, I watched several games on video of him, uh, you know, you, this stuff was was out of sight. Um, again, like he's not that far off. His strike rate uh, on the fastball is what sixty four percent at this point. Yeah. And really and truly, for a guy with this sort of stuff, I'm okay with it being below average. I'd like it to be at sixty five, sixty six. I know that's being very nitpicky there, but you know, if you consider average strike is sixty seven percent. Uh, a guy with this sort of fastball does not need to throw as many uh, strikes in the zone uh, just because people are going to swing over it or, yeah. or under it, I should say. Um, so, like, just a very high ceiling type pitching prospect that at least has a floor of a reliever in the big leagues. Great. Well, you've already – oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. you're good. I'm sorry to talk over you. <laughs> oh, no problem. Well – you already kind of gone over some of your what's on tap. Uh, usually this is the time of the show where we go over some things that uh, you're going to be doing in the next few weeks. So we got your live looks already that you're going to be seeing these uh, pitchers and these hitters over the next few days that we've just covered. Uh, but what's some of the uh, content that you have uh, coming out? 
Yeah, so like I'll have uh, Greensboro this week in town. I'm going to go to Columbia on Saturday. They've got Charleston in town. And I'm also going to hit some of the uh, Palmetto games, which is like the local prep, uh, like all-star series stuff. They're running games all day. So like uh, if you know PJ Morlando, who might be a top five pick in next year's draft, he'll be playing on Saturday. So go check him out. They're playing at University of South Carolina. So yeah, the live looks, obviously, but also content-wise, like pretty much every day I'm writing up some reports on you know, what minor leaguers did the previous day, call it the Dynasty Digest, try to keep everybody kind of up to date on what they need to know from the minor league side for Dynasty. Uh, I've been working through, I'll be working through another prospect rank update at the end of the month. I did it after the draft and then like I feel pretty fine with it now, but I know I'll need to update it again over the next couple of weeks. So I'll, I'll begin working on that, the top 500 fantasy prospects and also the Dynasty rankings. So yeah, pretty much... Um, Daily write-ups and in, in the ranking side of things, and yeah, that's uh what I'm looking at over the next couple of weeks. Uh, what about you? Well, I am headed out to um, Rome this week to see Winston Salem. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to get any article content out of this, uh, but yeah. I am definitely going to get a lot of content for our book in the off season. I have Chicago White Sox coverage. Uh, that is the organization. Uh, you know, hoping for Noah Schultz somehow, you know, sneaks into high A. That would be pretty awesome. And that would make the whole weekend pretty, pretty good. But, you know, I'll get to see a lot of arms that I've seen at different levels at different times uh, uh, throughout their development. And, and it looks like, it, oh, well, uh, I guess Andrew Dahlquist is on their development list. But I, I think I've seen him like five times over the last like three years. So, <laughs> Uh, maybe not necessarily a guy I need to see ever again, but uh, knowing my luck, they'll take him off that list. I will also be, uh, I'll, I'll at least gain, uh, go to one game, Pensacola versus Chattanooga. Uh, both teams are, uh, it's not really many stars on either team. I guess the biggest prospect name is Jacob Berry. Uh, and, you know, the Jacob Berry story has not been, uh, been the happiest story of uh, late for prospect uh, followers, especially those who believed in him in those first year player drafts last year. I don't, I don't know where you were. Where were you on uh, uh, Barry uh, no. last year? Uh, I was pretty low. I had him like 30 in the FYPD rankings. I just got fortunately got some data on him from college and it just was so mm -hmm. like he just didn't impact the ball. So I was like, I, I don't know. Like you don't impact it with, you know, aluminum bat. I just don't see you impacting it with wood bat. So yeah, I was kind of out on him. I didn't draft him anywhere. And hopefully if you, uh, read my work you didn't draft him either yeah i i the people who read my my work i had the marlins organization i think uh i think he's the lowest uh top 10 uh position player i ever graded uh <laughs> it, it was a very poor grade on him yeah. and uh you know again i think i think you saw the difference of the people that had college data over not having college data right. and and seeing the highlight reels and stuff and i think that uh, having that college data. And also, I think one of the things that our evaluators miss is the importance of how guys respond against that Friday starter. Yeah. Um, Friday and Saturday starters, everything. Uh, Brennan McKay was a guy that did not do good against Friday and Saturday starters. Uh, he beat up Sunday starters and Tuesday starters and Thursday starters, but he, he just never got the job done. And like, People liked him better. I mean, granted, he had all the injuries with his arm and stuff. And, you know, we don't know what's 
uh, you know, what would have been, but like the hit, like I've never believed in his, him as a hitter, uh, but we didn't have that. And we didn't have that sort of data back then. And right. that's who, when I was watching Barry video last year, that's who I thought of the whole time. I was like, oh my God, this is uh, the same first round mistake uh, as a hitter uh, that, that McKay was. So um, anyway, um, Thank you all for joining us this week on the Eyes Have a Podcast. Brett Hershey will be back next week. I don't know what we'll talk about. Probably some White Sox prospects, probably some Marlins prospects, uh, maybe a Reds prospects. I don't know at this point. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, though. You can ask questions at the Eyes Have It at BaseballHQ.com or reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at C underscore Blessing. First time listening to Eyes have it podcast. Click subscribe to get our future episodes. Rank us, spread the word. Uh, Chris, thank you again for being on this week. Uh, I'm glad this worked out. I was, you know, we tried to schedule it a few weeks ago and you you were out of town and now, you know, this worked out even better. I, I was able to get Jeff Ponce that week. And that was like my my hell week where I had to like delay everything and get out on Thursday and like I could do that to Ponce, but I would have hated to do that to you. Oh, uh, no, it would have been all good. But, yeah, I'm glad we worked it out. It was a uh, great conversation. I'm glad to be on the show, man. I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot from you over the years. and Thank um, you. You know, you've been a big inspiration to to get better at this whole scouting thing and translate into fantasy. And I feel like I have come a long way, and it's uh, a lot because of you and guys like Jeff as well. So very appreciative. Well, I, I, you know, and I compliment you on the, um, the picture, uh, I almost said picture list since we were talking picture list, the prospect live, uh, broadcast. And I, I just kind of want to say there, you know, uh, Chris has grown more than, than pretty much any fantasy prospect writer has in such a short time. Um, he really got dedicated and getting to the ballpark the last two years, it shows in your work, dude. So you know kudos to you like you put the work in and when you put the work in that that's that's where results come so congratulations on all of that thank you and i agree hard work will always pay off so if you want something in life just work hard for it man it's mm -hmm. it'll come mm -hmm. well everybody i hope you all have a great week and uh, uh check us out next week when brent is back